the reading comes from the book of Genesis, which is chapter 16, and it goes as follows. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to, to what Sarai had said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me, she said. I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Be'er Lahoi Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ms. Akite. Hey, good morning, everyone. It is good to be here. Um, let's see. All right. Again, it is good to be here. Um, I'm Cyril Chavis. I am the pastor of RUF at Howard University. And we started in June, June 1st, 2019. And maybe some of you remember I preached uh, in June. And so I'm, I recognize many of your faces and it's, it's good to be back and to see new faces as well. So I look forward to meeting you all. Uh, so afterwards I'll be just hanging around and please, uh, I'll introduce myself to you. You feel free to introduce yourself to me. I'd love to, to meet you. I also have uh, refrigerator magnets in the back. Uh, I bought way too many of them two years ago and they're still in my kind of like office closet. So take like several of them and you could just like use them for all the things on your refrigerator. Um, so uh, it, it, it's been 
fun to be at Howard University. I actually took classes my first couple semesters. So I took Intro to African American Studies, and I took music, and I took Amharic, and I just tried to just get to know people. And the pandemic hit, and but luckily I had met a lot of students, and so we were doing different Bible studies and different things over over Zoom. And so now this semester, the chapter has been approved as an official student org, which is really exciting. Yeah, yeah. And basically, kind of my role is more so supporting them, training them, encouraging them, caring for them, and really watching them do the work of ministry on campus. So we have several Bible studies going on throughout the week. Um, we, we, we had a, a couple weeks ago, I was kind of surprised that we had we had about 40 to 50 students show up to our meet and greet. Uh, we were all crammed in a room with masks on. I was like, oh goodness. I was like, all right, I think, I hope this is COVID, COVID kosher. Uh, and then a couple of days later, we and, and so really we're just trying to scramble because we just got approved and we don't really have a, like a, a long-term plan because we literally just got approved like a few weeks ago so we're scrambling and trying to figure out ministry so we're at the meet and greet and we're like all right are we doing a bible study in, in a couple of days i was like all right let's do it so we did a bible study uh, a couple of days later um had about 30 students come out and so that was also surprising as well uh, i told the student leaders i was like man like i'd be surprised we ain't gonna have more than 20 people we can meet in this little room uh and then like we were all crammed in that room as well and i was like oh okay i don't know if this is covid kosher or not but uh so it's been exciting it's been a little chaotic um, we're just trying to figure out how to get everything organized get the leadership team organized but it's been a joy to be able to equip and encourage and really just uh, get to know students so I covered your prayers please pray that we would uh, continue to grow not only numerically but also just in the quality of relationships that exist between the students and also that students would meet and, and believe in Jesus that they place their trust in the Lord um, there, there's a passage and, and we'll see in this passage uh, but there's another passage that I went through with the leadership team the other day when Jesus looked over the, the, the crowd and he said they look as though uh, they are, are sheep without a shepherd, uh, that they needed a king to lead them and guide them. And he sent out the apostles. And so uh, ministry co comes from a place of compassion, seeing people and saying, man, they need King Jesus as the solution to all of their problems. And so pray that uh, students would see that King Jesus is a solution to all of their problems and that those uh, student leaders would also lead from a place of compassion. Uh, and, and also, like uh, Pastor Duke already said, I, I also invite you to join our monthly partner team. Uh, we also uh, cover your generosity. Many of you have already been generous, and uh, we invite uh, you to join our monthly giving team. We usually have a yearly vision night, and we'll kind of figure out what that looks like uh, post-COVID, but also look forward to meeting you all some of the, at the vision night. All right, without further ado, let's, let's hop into God's Word. I'll pray for us, and then we'll dive in. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be able to be here uh, at Grace Meridian Hill and to worship with the saints. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would give me power, that you would give me strength to explain this passage. Lord, I really do need your help. Lord, I pray that you would open the hearts of your hearers, that they might uh, receive your word with faith and love. They really do need your help as well. That they would treasure your word, and not only uh, would they be good hearers, but they would be good doers of your word. Lord, I pray that we will walk away from this place being transformed by your word. Lord, it is your word that does the work and your spirit that does the work. Lord, I just hope I explain it well. 
So, Lord, I pray that uh, anything that comes out of my mouth that is not of you, it would wither away and be forgotten forever. Lord, and if anything comes out of my mouth that is of you, I pray it would stick and that it would yield fruit into eternity. Lord, we love you. Amen. Amen. So, can, can I take this off the, the stand? Is that fine? Okay. All right. Okay. Let's see. I might just have to put it back on the stand. Pull it. Okay, I'll put it back on. Okay. Oh, thank you. All right, there we go. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Um, so, my wife and I, we enjoy marriage counseling. We, we tell ourselves we're, we're going to do it every uh, couple years just to go in and, and get a tune-up. And so we recently did, and we worked through um, this book called The Seven Principles of Making Marriage Work. Have you ever heard of that book uh, by John Gottman? So he's, he's basically kind of like a... Um, a, a scientist of marriage. He has couples in this thing called the love lab and he watches, basically he watches them interact and watches them argue and he comes up with these different things that make a marriage last. And one of the things he says is this. He says, uh, there's hardly any, well, this is my words, I'm summarizing. There's hardly any more powerful way to show your spouse love than by being there for them when they are upset. And he says this in the book, and I, I'm not quoting him. I can't emphasize enough how beneficial it will be to your relationship to give your partner the gift of being there when he or she is upset. After years of studying couples in the lab and working with them directly, it has become clear to me that happy couples live by the credo, when you are in pain, the world stops and I listen. And y'all, I don't know if y'all are like me, maybe uh, in your friendships or with your children or in your marriage that when our loved ones are in pain, oftentimes we do not stop, the world does not stop, and we do not listen, right? In our minds, the world keeps going, and we are just focused on what we got going on. We rarely stop and enter in to a moment of pain when someone else is in pain. And family, I'm here to tell you today that the same thing uh, is not true of God, but the credo is true of God. If I, if I can remix the, the credo that uh, Dr. Gottman gave, uh, if I can be a, a little creative, I could say the Bible is clear that God in his relationship with you lives by the credo. When you are in pain, the world stops and I listen. Family, when you are in pain, the world stops and God listens. North African church father Augustine of Hippo says this. He says, for your goodness, he, he, he's praying to God. He has like this whole book that's just basically a giant prayer. It's called Confessions. It's a good book. You, you should pick it up. Maybe read like a page or a paragraph a night. That's what I did. Some more like devotional. But he says this. For your goodness is almighty. You take good care of each of us as if you had no others in your care. And you look after all as you look after each. He's basically saying, have you ever thought about this? Even though there's 7 billion people in the world that we rely on his love as if we were the only one. He loves us and cares for us as if we were the only person in the world. And he loves us all with the intentionality of an individual. God's love is powerful. And aren't we tempted to believe the opposite sometimes? That when we're in pain, we, we, we think, you know what? God really doesn't hear me. God really isn't listening. The world really doesn't stop. 
no one sees me and no one cares. And maybe right now coming off of a pandemic, and I guess we're still in a pandemic as I look out over this crowd of, of mass, that we are going through it. And in the midst of our crisis, we believe falsely in our pain that God has forgotten about us. And so from this historical narrative about Hagar, I want to convince us of the opposite. I want to convince us that God sees us. That God sees us. And that's why this sermon is titled, The One Who Sees Me. From this historical narrative, I want to look at four things. And don't worry, they're quick points, but we have four points. I want to look at what happens after God listens. I want to look at what happens after God listens. So one, when God listens, he will give introspection. Somebody say introspection. introspection. When God listens, he will give introspection. So I remember Abraham and Sarai, they had traveled from Mesopotamia. They traveled hundreds of miles and God basically called them from their homeland and said, hey, keep walking until I tell you to stop. And then when they got near Canaan, the promised land, he told them to stop. And then he gives them these amazing promises. He's like, hey, even though you all are old and barren, you will have a son and this son will lead to a blessing of the whole world. And he tells them that they will have that particular land. God gives them humongous promises. But Abraham and Sarai have to wait. And so in, in the midst of waiting and over a period of several years, now we're 10 years after they've arrived at the promised land, they still do not have the promised son. So Hagar has this not so great idea to help. I mean, not, excuse me, Sarai has this not so great idea to help God out. When has helping God out ever gone well, right? She says, hey, take my maidservant Hagar and you take her as your wife and then she will have children on my behalf and voila, will help God fulfill his promise to give me a son. And so as this was common day practice back then for uh, barren women to have surrogate mothers that were also uh, in the household. So back then, uh, when, when we hear the word slave, don't think of like American shadow slavery. Think of a society where everything was structured around a household and you essentially had uh, the, the, the parents and you had the children and then you had servants or slaves, uh, as, as some Bible translations call it. And so Hagar was, was a part of this household as a maidservant. And so uh, she goes into Abraham. She becomes his wife. Uh, some might call her a concubine, which basically was a wife w w without the kind of same status as Sarai. Um, and this was common day practice back then. And she becomes pregnant by Abraham. Uh, and so, by the way, Abram, he's also called Abram in this passage. Abram's name is eventually changed to Abraham later in the text. Sarai's name is later changed to Sarah later in the story. But anyway, now, Hagar gets pregnant, and guess what happens? The real Housewives of Palestine pops off <laughs> up in this passage. So now Hagar gets pregnant, and she starts to think she's better than Sarai. So can you, know, can you imagine Hagar's like, why am I listening to you? Like, I'm pregnant and you're not. I'm basically the wife now. And then Sarai gets upset and she goes to Abram and she's like, hey, like, what is going on? Y'all got your own thing over here. I'm just out here on the outskirts. What's good? And Abram's just like, hey, you know, she's your maidservant. Do with her as you please. So Sarai starts to abuse Hagar, starts to treat her harshly. And so now Hagar runs away. And so now we have pregnant Hagar who is by herself in the desert, she is staring death in the face. She has no food, no water, 
by herself and at, at the risk of uh, robbery from wild animals, just from anything. Can you imagine what she would have felt like being pregnant at this moment? She has her back against the wall. And the place that's supposed to be that it is the household of God, but it is acting like it is far from the household of God. There was a lot of sin and toxicity and a lot of moral ambiguity going on in the household of God, which caused her to run away. And she contributed to it. So the angel comes to her and the angel asks her, where have you come from and where are you going? But you see, when God asks you, where are you? It's not because he doesn't know where you are. It's because he wants you to know where you are. And Hagar gave a matter of fact answer. She said, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. But God was helping her be aware of the situation she was in and even look inside of her own self and realize that she was lost in more ways than one. And so maybe you can relate. Maybe you're in a situation that is bananas. A lot of things have gone wrong. Relationships have gotten complex. There is sin in every corner of, of, of the household. Maybe it's your own household. Maybe it's the church. Maybe it's on your job. You are in a difficult situation with your back against the wall, and you are wondering how you're going to keep your sanity in the midst of all of it. Maybe you literally are facing death in the face like Hagar, and you are wondering if God is listening to your cries and if God sees you in your situation. Maybe, like Hagar, we find ourselves lost in more ways than one. And God wants us to take inventory of where we are. Family, where are you coming from and where are you going? But next, when God listens, God will give instructions. Somebody say instructions. The angel then starts to give Hagar instructions. So first, he tells her something that is really confusing for maybe many of us. You know, a lot of us are like, you know, we're, 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 we're radicals and we're like, you know what, Hagar, like, just go on and revolt and rebel and start your own thing. And so we're like, whoa, hold up. That when the angel says, hey, go back and submit to your mistress Sarai. And I think some of the most uh, difficult passages like this have some of the, the most deep uh, meanings behind them. And I think there's something here I don't have time to really explain really what's going on here. There's a lot of different interpretations of this passage. Uh, but really, I think the one that most makes sense to the text is that Hagar was running away from where God was, even though where God was was really complicated. And the angel wasn't telling her, go back and submit just for the sake of submitting. He was saying, go back and get in harmony with where the blessing of God is. The angel tells her to play her role in the family. She's to be a part of the family as a concubine and not the wife, and as an employee and not the boss. And what the angel was doing here was trying to restore harmony in God's family. And you know, the text doesn't tell us because the text is focused on Hagar, but I imagine that God was doing the same thing to Abram and Sarai, getting them back in line. And so maybe you can relate. Maybe you're like Abram and Sarai who were uh, barren and wanted a child. Um, you don't believe that God is actually going to fulfill his promises to you in an impossible situation. And maybe it's not just with child rearing. Maybe it's many different things where you are uh, seeing the promises of God and you're looking for them to materialize in your life. And you feel like you have to wait and that it's been hard and that you're suffering. And God's promises look really far away. 
So you take matters into your own hands and you start making things even worse around you. We start operating according to what the Bible calls the flesh, according to our own ways apart from God. But maybe you're like Hagar. Maybe uh, in, in, in the midst of this situation, you are starting to pour the same toxicity into the situation around you. In the midst of this, God is calling you to get in harmony with the people around you, to get in harmony with the church, to get in harmony with his people. And we do all of this by submitting to God's word. Where do we get our instructions from God here in 2021? We get our instructions from his word. And God is calling us to get back into harmony with himself and with the people around us. But thirdly, when God listens, God will give illumination. Somebody say illumination. And next, the angel gives illumination. Illumination is basically a fancy way of saying God gives light. He sheds, uh, he gives her knowledge about herself, her and her place in God's plan. He says this, he says, man, you will have more descendants than you can number. He's like, I'm going to bless you real good. <laughs> He said, you will have a son, and, and, and he will have descendants, and, he will, and, and they'll have descendants. Her connection with God's family gave her a precious place in God's plan. And then he also tells her that her son's name will be Ishmael, which means God is listening. God's like, I want you to remember that you are precious to me. And every time you look at your son, you'll remember that I am listening to you, that I am near to you, I am close to you, and I love you. And family, could it be that during this time when we've given up on God and when we're running away from God, and we think that God has forgotten about us and we have our backs against the wall, that God wants to remind you that I love you, that you are precious to me. I've not forgotten about you. You are in my plan. God wants you to remember that he is listening to you, that your prayers have not fallen on deaf ears. But then he gives more illumination to Hagar, and this, and this is kind of like a, a jarring switch. He says, man, I'm, I'm going to bless you, but then he starts, you know, he says, basically, you, your son will be a wild man, uh, will, will, will be a donkey of a man. And we're like, whoa, what? You know, you calling her, her son a donkey? Um, after giving her all these great promises, and then he says, your son will be quarrelsome, basically. He'll lift his hand against all of his relatives. He'll have hostility against all the people around her. And this is also, this whole passage is very difficult, actually. But this is another difficult part of a difficult passage. Um, but what I think God is really saying here is that you are precious to me, but also I want you to know how your own posture towards your relatives, Hagar, will influence your son's posture towards his relatives. So just like Hagar had hostility against her relatives, Ishmael will have hostility against his relatives. And we see this is fulfilled in Genesis chapter 21, verse 9. Basically, uh, there, there's a weaning party for Isaac. At this point, Isaac is the promised son, and he's born. At this point, Ishmael is around preteen, teenager stage. Isaac is, is maybe around one years old. And at this party, Ishmael starts clowning Isaac, basically. Ishmael kind of starts persecuting Isaac. And so Sarai is like, I've had it enough. Like Abram, they, they have to go, and, and God tells Abraham, you know what, uh, let them go. I, I got them. And so basically they, they send Hagar and Ishmael away, and God cares for them in the wilderness. And there's another similar uh, passage like what we have today. But really what I think is happening here is, is showing how our sin is never just individual. 
our sin always affects other people, either directly or indirectly. And those of us who live in homes with, with, with other people around us where we're in very close proximity, whether it's roommates or our children or our parents, we realize that our sin rubs off on other people. Ishmael would repeat the sin of his parent. And maybe God in this time is calling us to take inventory of our character flaws. God is trying to illumine some areas where we are destroying ourselves and destroying others around us. And he wants us to repent. He wants us to change so that we can walk in newness of life, walk in joy and peace and reconciliation. And not only for our sake, but for the sake of those around us. But lastly, when God listens, he will give inspiration. Somebody say inspiration. And the angel then gives her inspiration. Now, there are many times in the Bible where a person gives a name to a place or a thing after God. But this is the only time in the Bible where a person gives a name to God directly. Inspired, Hagar calls God El-Rohi, which means the God who sees. Family, could it be that in the midst of this season in your life, uh, that God wants you to know when you don't see him, he sees you? And when you don't hear him, he hears you. Again, North African Church Father Augustine says, For your goodness is almighty. You take good care of each of us as if you had no others in your care. And you look after all as you look after each. This is what Hagar realized about God when her back was against the wall. She's like, this is the God who sees me. He sees me. She realized this in the moment of her suffering. But on top of that, after she re received inspiration of God, there's almost like a, 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 almost a repeat of what she just said. She is blown away. After she says, he's the God who sees me, she says, have I really seen the one who sees me? She says, not only does God see me, but he has given me the opportunity to see him in a deeper way. She couldn't believe that she had the mind-blowing privilege of seeing God afresh. And family, could it be that in this season that God not only wants you to know that he sees you, but he wants you to see him in a new and fresh way? But you might be thinking, you know what, that's great for Hagar, but that's never going to happen to me. You might be thinking, I'm too far away from God. I done messed up too badly. Or maybe you're thinking the way my situation is set up, that will never happen to me. I will, God, my, my situations don't usually lead to a fresh and new vision of God in that way. But little do we know that God has appeared to us in a much better way than he has appeared to Hagar. You see, God appeared to her through an angel, but God has appeared to you in Jesus, his son. If by the spirit you know Jesus, then you know God himself directly. You see, we have it better than Hagar. She encountered God through a servant but we encounter God through the only begotten son. You see, the angel came to Hagar with a word, but Jesus, who has come to us, is the word. He doesn't just bring a message. He himself is the message. And doesn't Hagar remind us of Jesus? You see, God turned towards Hagar in her pain in the desert, but God turned away from Jesus' pain on the cross so that he might see us.
God instructed Hagar to go back to home to face blessings, but he instructed Jesus to go to the cross to face cursing on our behalf. You see, God told Hagar that she would live to see the birth of the nation that was in her womb. But God told Jesus that he would have to die to see the birth of the nation that was in his womb, the church. When Jesus was in pain, the world stopped and God turned away. So that when we are in pain, the world will stop and God will listen. Family, God sees you and God hears you. And this happens only through the person and work of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time this morning where we can dig into your word, where we can see your interaction with Hagar, how you sent her an angel, a messenger. And after you had listened and after you had, had seen her, you did many things. Lord, we ask that all of the things that were, were true of Hagar will be true for us here this morning. Lord, that you would uh, illuminate the areas in our lives that we need to get back in line with you. And Lord, you would illumine how precious and how dear we are to you. God, I pray that by the power of your spirit, we would face, uh, we, we, would, we would experience joy and conviction at the same time. God, I pray that we would receive your instruction, we would receive your word, not as something that holds us back or something that's outdated, but we would receive your word as something that brings us back in line with you and the people around us. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to see the glories of Jesus. That Jesus, if we have him, we have something better than what Hagar had. God, I pray that we would, we would cherish your son. You told your disciples, Jesus, you told your disciples that it's better that you go away because uh, it is better that you receive the other comforter, the Holy Spirit. That with the Holy Spirit, you not are only with us, but you are in us in a powerful and more deep way than even we see in the story of Hagar. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill us right now, that we would uh, be able to worship and rejoice in Jesus. And Lord, I pray that uh, as, we, as we continue to worship and as we leave this place, that Holy Spirit, you would empower us in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our trials, to know that you see us and that you are listening. We love you. Amen.